Anthony's trained really well. He's in, a, he's in great spirits. He's had really good sparring, and you know he's looking forward to the fight. Really love uh, the Ukrainian style. I like the Ukrainian people. If you want to be a top boxer, you don't box him. You fight him. If you want to be a top fighter, you don't you don't fight him. You box him. You know. Listen, this rematch is going to happen. I'm going to show you what I can do. I've got another level. I've got another gear. You look like you could have done that for 15 rounds in there. Like an old school fighter. You know, the way the 15 rounders used to. It's a tough defeat. You know, this was getting beat by a pound for pound great fighter. We've been here before. You've been here, Madison Square Garden. That was different. This is just being beat by a better man on the night. And uh, you'd have to make some, some big changes in the rematch to avenge that defeat. So back when Joshua lost to Ruiz at Madison Square Garden, I think it was like June 2nd, 2019. And I was on the podcast, I was laughing and I was rolling around and I was celebrating because it was end of phase one of that Joshua project where they were going to convince us this guy would go his whole career unbeaten. He was unbeatable. He was the best heavyweight ever. And it was getting boring. So I watched this fight against Usyk. And... When it became obvious he was going to lose a fight, I felt sad for him. Because we all get to a point in our life where we realise we're not as good as we think we are. And you can understand that if you get iced by Deontay Wilder's one in a million right hand, you know, a punch from the gods, as people would say. You can understand it if it comes from a Wilder or a Tyson Fury, because they're giants of the sport. But for a man who essentially didn't even try and put on weight for this fight, I know people will say, yeah, he weighed in at 220. Usyk probably weighs that before he starts cutting for cruiserweight fights anyway. He could probably go down to cruiser now if he had to. If that's where the next challenge is, he could make cruiserweight. So a man who's essentially a small heavyweight, much like Evander Holyfield was, made Joshua look amateurish. Now, now there's mitigations and there's aggravations when it comes to this, but the sum total of it is this myth that Joshua is somehow this elite fighter, this myth that somehow Joshua is this all-time great, this pound-for-pound -pound guy, is done, right? And this will be glad it's done. And for all of you guys still buying the pay-per-views and still buying the tickets after having not read the writing on the wall, it's on you. So what's that now? 25 quid for the Ruiz rematch, 25 quid for the Pulev fight, another 25 quid for this fight. And then all the numpties who actually bought seats at the venues. Well done. Now, a round of applause. Do you feel clever now? Because we were telling you from when he lost his first fight, this is the end of that road. That road to Undisputed was done. It was done. Now you understand why the 50 million offer wasn't accepted. Now you understand why they were fanning about with the, oh, we're going to make a fight in Saudi Arabia, knowing full well that arbitration finding would never favor Fury. But it was plausible deniability. Well, we tried to make the fight. Yeah, they didn't want it. You can do all of that. But now look where we are. Usyk, a small man, as Porky Russ would say, dominated Anthony Joshua. Now, the mitigation for me is I still think there was something wrong with his right arm. Because when he did throw it, he couldn't fully extend it. And the only punch he was happy throwing seemingly was a really tight uppercut. 
he didn't seem to want to throw anything big or looping with the right hand, which I think would have made a difference to the fight. I don't know if he would have won, but it would have made a difference. Because it's not just that you're one-handed. Like, you essentially lose two-thirds of your offense because that's the hand you want to do the most damage with, both physically and psychologically. And he didn't have that when he fought Usyk. But what we saw tonight is like the final brick of a pyramid of shit that's been building and building and building and the fans have been lapping it up. Meanwhile, podcasts like this have been telling you, you know, not all that glitters is gold. So the first thing, and we touched on this so many times, is Josh is essentially a big guy in Watford. Now, what does that even mean? That's like being a big guy in Reading or Bracknell or Wokingham. I'm not saying those places are terrible. I'm just saying, you know, it doesn't mean anything. But they've taken that and manufactured it into this six foot six bad boy who's lived life on the edge. Da, da, da. But he hasn't. And when it comes down to fighting and it comes down to being in the ring against people you would define as his peers. Anthony Joshua melts away. Right. Parker. So scared he was just holding on for dear life. I class that as a contemporary. Ruiz, age-wise, contemporary. Didn't want it. Either fight, he didn't want it. And now we look at Usyk, who I class as a contemporary. They were both gold medalists in 2012. He didn't look like he really wanted the fight. He looked like he wanted to nick it on the scorecards and just get away from that situation. And if you roll back... It's not like this was a mandatory that he was screaming for. He wasn't saying, I love giving the fans what they want. So forget Fury for a bit. I'm going to go and fight Usyk. Usyk had to force the mandatory shot. And that makes things really interesting now because if he wins the rematch, which is more likely than not, does that bring a Joe Joyce fight closer? But, you know, we'll discuss that at another time. What we need to zero on here is this pyramid of shit that's essentially, it's basically stunk out Joshua's career really, hasn't it? So everyone wants to talk about Rob McCracken. And I think we need to zero in on Rob McCracken because Rob McCracken's job is to get Joshua to the start line. Right, that is Rob McCracken's job. That's what he's accountable for. How he does it, don't know, not my business. His magic, his sorcery, whatever he chooses to do is entirely up to him. But if Josh is not right on the night, that's Rob McCracken's fault. Who on earth signed up to a fight knowing that McCracken would have to be in the Olympics from the start to the end of the tournament? Now, I don't know how many weeks it was. Three weeks out there, maybe, to go through the whole tournament? Not only that. Forget the three weeks, but you've got to prep the guys. You've got to do your selection. You've got to do the prep, the logistics. You've got to manage that process because you're accountable for that too. So meanwhile, you're having to delegate a lot of this work. But who are you delegating it to? For all of McCracken's faults, for all of his deficiencies as a trainer, as a person, and people can talk about that forever and a day, Rob McCracken's been in the corner of big fights in his career. He's been in big fights in his career. Rob McCracken is the only person with that level of experience in Team Joshua. 
and you're essentially writing off about five weeks of that preparation because you've got to factor in jet lag where you're not mentally sharp as well. You're writing five weeks of that preparation off and delegating it to Angel Fernandez and Joby Clayton. Now, both guys may go on to be fantastic trainers in the future, but none of those guys have been in high-profile fights. They haven't cornered high-profile fights, nor have they ever wanted to in the short term. They want to learn their trades. But you've got those guys in camp supervising. What the hell is that? Now, it's all well and good saying, yeah, but even after the Olympics, we still had three weeks of work with Joshua. Not three weeks, sorry, seven weeks of work with Joshua's. It's too late by then. Your momentum's gone. So, so McCracken, he has to own that. The camp seems like it was a bit of a disaster. Um, I don't believe you should ever have three voices in camp, if I'm being honest with you. I don't know why the hell you need three coaches. That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, are the roles clearly defined? Who does what? Are the people, I mean, I hear that there's, there's fighting internally about who gets access to AJ, who AJ listens to, who's got the ear. All of this stuff is not good for a camp. The last thing you want to do at the elite level is add complexity to what should be a really simple process. And from what I'm hearing coming out of Team Joshua, it's not a simple process because everyone's trying to curry favor with the king. Now, does that mask his deficiencies one way or the other? I don't know. I don't think any of us know. But when you've got three voices basically saying, I'm the reason he's improved, your camp's all wrong. When you're training at Finchley Boxing Club, your training's all wrong. It's no disrespect to Finchley, by the way. I think Finchley's a great amateur club. But you've already been an amateur. You got to the top of the mountain in the amateur game. So what can Finchley give you new that's going to elevate you? Nothing. Yes, it's nice to give back to the kids and so forth. I, look, I get that. That's fine. And it's close to home and it means that you can spend time with your family. But look at all the other top guys. They have their own facilities. Wilder trains in his facility. He doesn't train with 50, 50 teenagers. He doesn't do that. Because at the elite level, you need an elite facility where everyone's pulling in the same direction to the same level of intensity. And yes, he may get that at GB, but I don't even think he does get that at GB. And I've always questioned this. Where are the young hungry pros out there to take your head off? Joshua should have his own gym now. And he should say, listen, I want the top 15 heavyweights under the age of 25 in my gym every week. And you guys should be making me feel old, have me doubting myself. He needs that. He needs that competitive fire again because you looked at the camp and you looked at the, the sparring partners he had. Like Gaza Thomas Carty weren't even there. But you look at the sparring partners he had. And they weren't solving the Usyk problem. They were only solving the Southpaw problem. And that's not trying to figure out the alphabet by going from A to D. What about the rest of the letters? So you had all of these Southpaw guys. And just from what, what I was told, none of them could really mimic Usyk. They were just Southpaws. And you were just like, okay, I'm comfortable with Southpaws. Whoop-de-doo. You saw in the fight... He wasn't able to work around Usyk. 
So if we go on the assumption that AJ couldn't really throw his right hand with full power, and I'm, I'm prepared to buy that because, you know, we saw the images with the strapping. So maybe he was injured going into that fight and he's going to choose not to make excuses. Cool. Let's, let's, let's kind of take that as given. There's nothing AJ did to mitigate that. He wasn't able to step around Usyk. And, and here's the irony. In the press conference, he said, I've got to move to my left. And in the fight, he didn't move to his left. Had he moved to his left, the fight would have been a bit easier for him with one arm. Like, that's Southpaw 101. If you're an orthodox fighter, you control the left-hand side against the Southpaw, the night's really hard for them. Teofimo Lopez showed you that against Loma. That's all Joshua had to do was shut that door down. And every time Usyk could find an escape route out the right-hand side, he took it. And it was reminiscent of Chris Bird. So I don't know if you ever saw Chris Bird's heavyweight run. And people would come and attack him, and he'd always find a way to escape to his right. And it was a rare person who was smart enough to shut that off. So we come back to what was happening in camp. Was there a structured fight plan that said, this is how we're going to nullify Usyk? It didn't look like it on fight night. So you got three trainers and the might of GB's analysis and all of this. They already had that because remember, they'd had to have studied Usyk as part of the World Series of Boxing for Joe Joyce. They already knew who Usyk was. This shouldn't have been so hard. Yet that combined might of Team Joshua, you know when they do the photo, there's like 88 of them in the picture. And you're like, so what's everyone doing in camp? What is everyone doing? Because with Usyk's in pictures, it's like five people. And all of this falls on McCracken's head because when, when he lost to Ruiz and people said changes need to happen, it was the wrong kind of change. There's certain hills I'm prepared to die on and this is one of them. You're an idiot if you try and box like a Cuban in the pros. I'll say it again, you are an idiot if you try and box like a Cuban in the pros. You're going to burn your career if you align yourself with trainers who try and be Cuban. You're going to burn your career. And I will explain to you why. That Cuban stuff works if you grew up with the Cuban stuff. That is the only way that it works. So if you go back to the Cuban system, which is really the Russian system with a bit of Cuban flavor sprinkled on top, that whole Russian system is about you get them young and you teach them from when they're young. So by the time they're 18, 19, they're fluent in the language we call Russian boxing. So Cubans, by the time they're 18 or 19, are fluent in what you call Cuban boxing. That's why you see guys like De La Cruz looking amazing, Right? So when I see these Cuban coaches come over here, where I see them trying, trying, you know, leverage that 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 heritage, or when I see non-Cuban coaches putting up these these Instagram videos with their their fake philosophy and stuff, I'm like, the stuff doesn't work in the pros. The reason it doesn't work in the pros is this: professional boxing at the top levels is dog fighting. Huh? That's what it is. It's a, it's a high-speed, highly intelligent dogfight. That's what Joshua didn't understand. You can chase all this Cuban stuff as much as you want, and you can, oh, I want to be slick and slippery. You, you didn't come up that way. You went into Finchley Boxing Club, and they gave you fish and chip boxing. But you were strong, you were fast, you were fit, and you were mobile, and you made it work. 
You went to GB and McCracken, who's the high priest of the fish and chip boxing style. The high priest. And he took you to that level where you were competitive at the Olympics. I still feel they gave you the gold, but you were competitive. And then you got to the pros and you realize, actually, this fish and chip stuff is cool until I box someone who's a bit more advanced, Andy Ruiz. And so you fell in love with this thing of, well, if I'm Cuban, then I can box like, uh, is it Ulysses de la Cruz? Or if you go back, Teofimo, Teof, Teof, I can't even say his name anymore. Is it Teofilio Stevenson? Don't know. I think I'm close on that. But you're never going to box like that. Anthony Joshua can't box like that. And all you guys fall in love with these videos. And that's what's happened in boxing. People have fallen in love with the Instagram clips. And not the cold, hard reality of what makes a good boxer. Look. All you guys listening to this. All the guys that tweet me. Telling me who a, who a fighter should go to. Oh, go to that trainer. Go to this trainer. Let me save you the suspense. Of all the trainers you name. Your Adam Booths and this clown and that hoax and this ghost and this guy. Tunde Ajayi is in their league. Pat Barrett is in their league. Joe Gallagher is in their league. But you fall in love with people because Adam Smith told you, because Steve Bunce told you, uh, that Paul Dempsey guy told you these guys are amazing trainers. They're not. McCracken never was. Take away Carl Froch's chin and what career does he have? Let's be real. Take away Carl Froch's chin... What career does he have? What's his masterpiece? Basically a, a pub car park brawl with Lucy and Butte. Now what happened when he came up against someone who could box with Jermaine Taylor? Oh mate, he, he, he had a rough time of it. Right? And had Taylor not had stamina issues, that would have been a relatively easy win for Taylor. Darrell, same problems. Andre Ward was like, <laughs> you're not going to get away with it. This is all of McCracken's watch. Howard Eastman, same thing. All of McCracken's watch. But McCracken's better than these guys you worship. These hoaxes and myths who sometimes don't even show up to train people. But they love to tell you that they're, they're this dark, malevolent force in boxing that can make miracles happen. And you believe that. And so this all contributes to the mountain of shit. That's essentially Anthony Joshua's career right now. Because in that photo where there are 88 people and we don't really know what everyone does, in that photograph, there's no one who really understands how Joshua should be boxing. No one. And they say AJ makes all the decisions. The decision AJ should make is, I'm just going to stick to this fish and chip stuff and hope for the best. Because slipping, sliding, rolling just ain't my thing. My, my head, hands and feet can't move together in a coordinated manner. And that's okay because I remember I struggled to box conventionally. Like when I was a student, I remember we used to go up to Winkerbank to the Ingle Gym. And I'd done Kung Fu when I was younger. And the thing about Kung Fu is it's about being fluid. So your feet kind of go where the opportunities are. And so the Ingle system made more sense to me. But when someone told me I've got to stand upright, two hands up and kind of walk, sl step, slide, step, slide. You know that kind of proper fish and chip style boxing? Yeah? Normally taught by people called Ollie or Jim. 
Yeah, that, that's, they're the normal characters who teach it. And I struggled with that, and I still do struggle with it. But being a bit more fluid in the rats works for me. And Joshua's got to make that choice. Who is he in the ring? Just as a technician, who is he? And I don't think he's there yet. And he has to make peace with his decision and just commit to it. But I genuinely think that team around him, all 88 of them, don't help him. And loyalty is cool and it's all admirable and it, it ticks the right social media boxes and it does the right thing for perception. But look at it, Jesus ruined your career. But the second thing I wanted to touch on in this mountain of shit, or pyramid of shit I should say, is Joshua doesn't look like a killer. I want my heavyweight champion to look like a killer. I want to know my heavyweight champion is going to be dragged out of that ring. Metaphorically speaking, not literally. But I want to know that there's that level of desire to be in that ring. Like Fury getting up from the dead and Wilder going seven rounds when he was basically out on his feet from the first. Those two guys are light years ahead of Joshua and I've been saying that for a long time. Usyk showed that in that sense he's miles ahead of Joshua. Joshua must be regretting that damn selfie at the, at the glove selection. He fell into the same trap he fell into with Ruiz. As, as, as Winnie said to me before I recorded this. He may as well just have handed Usyk the belts again for a picture. He fell into the same trap. Because he's not a killer. You saw what happened when Canelo and Plant came together. It was fireworks. Why? Those two guys are killers. That's not Joshua. This whole gentleman thing, I'm going to take boxing in a different direction. We don't care about that. Every one of those fans that bought a ticket saw a sheep in lion's clothing. That's what you saw in that ring. Whereas Usyk was the real deal. He came, he saw, he conquered. We haven't seen that from Joshua since he was boxing at British and Commonwealth level. Anthony Joshua is not capable, I repeat, is not capable of dominating his peers in terms of age, skill and experience, even size. He's not capable of dominating these guys. Because both Ruiz and Usyk have outmanned him. This is your hero. This was the guy who was going to be the greatest of all time. He was going to rewrite the rules. This was the man who took shots at Lennox Lewis, called Lennox Lewis a clown. You think Lennox loses to Usyk? You think Lennox loses to Ruiz? God, no. And that gold medal Lennox earned was legit. No gifts there. Let that sink in for a second. This guy called Lennox Lewis a clown. And now watch how his career is unraveling. All that nonsense for like, you know, ah, oh, I'm signing a lifetime contract now with, with Matchroom for this. And I'm like, you're distracting energy away from the fight. Oh my God. It's almost as if they weren't taking this fight seriously. Because if you go back to the press conferences, how many times did you hear the rematch clause mentioned? A confident man doesn't talk about a rematch. In fact, the expression should be, we won't need the rematch clause. This will be one and done. I feel 
had the shoe been on the other foot, that's what Usyk would have said. He said, that, I don't need the rematch clause. That's just there for the promoter. This will be one and done. And we haven't seen that mindset from Joshua since probably Dominic Brazil. There was a little bit of it with Jarrell Miller. And maybe he needs to fight Jarrell Miller to kind of rediscover that. Because right now, um, who's the guy in the Wizard of Oz? Was it the Tin Man that had no heart? I don't know, man. But it was something like that, wasn't it? That's what we've got right now. We've got, we've got this guy they built up and people would tell me he was this, he was that. And they'd seen this inspiring, they'd seen that inspiring. And I said, my eyes don't deceive me. This guy isn't even as good as Frank Bruno, right? Because there's a big myth about Frank, that Frank was this stiff guy. Frank Bruno, in his, especially in his early years, was a hell of a combination puncher. And also had one of the most brutal jabs in boxing. Put some respect on that man's name. He'd have dealt with Alexander Usyk, that's for sure. And let's not forget, you know, despite the, the final round ending early, allegedly, Anthony Joshua was out on his feet in that 12th round. Was out on his feet. That's a manufactured champion. That's a guy that bought the belts. And I used to hear all of this, look at his CV, and you know, you had the, I don't know, the muesli swallowers and the muesli eaters all up in social media trying to talk us through his CV like this guy was great. And we're trying to explain, until you fight these guys that you're seemingly scared of, we're not going to take you seriously. I think we now know what would have happened had he fought Luis Ortiz. It definitely wouldn't have gone the distance. And, and, and look, it's crazy because I'm giving Joshua an absolute kicking here. And he deserves it because he said he's accountable for what happens in his operation. His operation is wrong from top to bottom. It's rotten. Uh, you know, why is it when he wants to show he's a man of the people, all the pictures have black people, when he wants to show he's a businessman, all the pictures have white people, and no one talks about all of this stuff, how he's got this split. And he's not the only person in boxing who does that. I'm just not going to name names. But there are people who who mobilize the races to suit their agenda. All of these things are signs that there's rot in the camp. How many times can you post videos of you driving around in a Range Rover? We know you're sponsored by the Land Rover Group. Well done, have a medal. But the ROI they're getting from you right now is terrible. Because all those Land Rover execs that were in White Hart Lane will go back into work, or they're around their friends watching it going, I thought you said this guy was good. And there's all one-armed Joshua just like, why am I even in this? And it comes back to, why would you even fight with one arm? Why? Who in that team of 88 people, all up in the pictures, all up in the restaurants, driving the Range Rovers, holding the watches, doing this, doing that, going out to the hangout to hang around with, with the light-skinned girls, all of that stuff. Who in the 88 Mafia said, actually, carry on with one arm? What, no one said, actually, maybe just postpone the fight till your arm's better. You know? How, how many times do you want to lose these belts and tarnish your reputation? Because it's not looking good. For a man who's cherry-picked his opponents throughout his whole career... He 
he's coming unstuck against the people he didn't pick. Takan made life hell for him. Ruiz definitely did now Usyk. Think about what would have happened had Fury or Wilder been in that ring. Think about what would have happened. There would have been no post-fight post going, oh, don't let the defeats get to you. Oh, keep smiling through all the power. Oh, Jesus, man, stop. This is why, and I repeat it, this is why you need someone like Deontay Wilder as your champion. He has that mindset of a killer. He, he defended his belt anytime, anyhow he wanted. He called the people out that he wanted to fight. No, don't come back with the, ah, oh, he avoided Dillian. No, he didn't. He didn't. He's taken on far harder fights than that. The fights that would have probably ruined Brand Joshua for good, you know. Think about this for a second, guys. Just, just, just let this thought sink in your head. Jesus, I just realized I've just, I've absolutely slaughtered AJ. And the right thing to do is actually to praise Alexander Usyk. 19 fights, what, seven belts? Four for undisputed or cruiserweight. Three for unified or heavyweight. If you want to add in the IBO, we'll call it four. One more, well, two more fights for all the belts. That's incredible. We talk about what Joshua did in 16 fights, right? How far he got in 16 fights. Look what this guy's done in 19. Nothing short of heroic. And I love the fact that Alexander Usyk talks about legacy and glory. You don't hear him talk about money. It's not about it has to... <laughs> he's old school. And he's old school in that way that fans love. Because you never question whether the right fights will happen for Usyk or not. I genuinely think if Usyk said I want to fight Wilder, that fight would happen. If Usyk said I want to fight Fury, that fight would happen. And we wouldn't have to wait seven years. We just wouldn't. And that's what makes Usyk lovable. But the great thing about him is how he controls the psychology in fight week. He, he plays up, he gives you all the highlights and the quotables and all the clickbait and the social media content you'll ever need. But come fight time, gives nothing away. He's In rugby, they call them test match animals. People who are unremarkable during the week. Do what they have to do, do it really well. But they find extra gears when it matters, when the pressure's on. When other people are melting, they find other gears. And that's what Usyk did. He did everything he was supposed to do. He set a pace that meant Joshua could never get his confidence up. He was also really, really smart in the sense that he knew how formulaic Joshua's approach was and he was just able to slip all the shots that Joshua was throwing. He was able to slip, but not just slip, but come back with his own work. And that meant that Joshua could never settle because he knew something was always coming back. Do I think he could have probably engaged in a firefight earlier and taken a lot out of Joshua? Yes, but he didn't have to. The threat coming back from Joshua was so minimal. You could see Usyk going, okay, I'll, do, I'll do this till the end. I don't know what will happen in the rematch, but I'd like to see a more aggressive Usyk in a rematch. 
a man more determined to hurt his opponent and maybe take him out. I think, considering what Ruiz did, I think Usyk will look at that rematch as an opportunity to surpass that. But everything was elegant. The straight right looked good. And he did that thing that I love about southpaws. He, he'd go to pierce the guard sometimes, and sometimes he'd come around the corner. And Joshua just couldn't read it. He couldn't read it. That's what happens when you're elite. So the difference between those two guys is this. Joshua won a gold medal because he's a machine. Like a steam train. Usyk won his gold medal because he's like a, like a quantum computer. He's been boxing for so long, he knows what's coming back, and he, he's been in these situations many, many times in his career. Looked unflappable, just stuck to what he knew he could do, and you could see the self-belief in the way he operated, because even when he was getting touched by Joshua, it didn't, it didn't discourage him. That's a guy used to fighting bigger guys, and he had that ferocity that AJ doesn't have anymore. And so watching how Usyk was able to do that, was just able to control whichever side he wanted to control. I don't know if he sussed out that Josh's arm wasn't functioning, but he didn't seem scared of the backhand. He was just working around it. But it was that pace. It was a searing pace. And here's something for you guys to understand. I can have a 12-week camp. I can have an 18-week camp. Right? And... I could fight an opponent who boxes in a way, at a pace, and at an intensity that I can't cope with. And after the first, first round, I've probably come to the realization that I'm wasting my time in that ring. Everything I did in camp is irrelevant. And it feels like Usyk was able to do that, and I can't explain how yet. I'd have to watch the fight back again. But Usyk turned Joshua into a baby. And I remember when I did the episode after the first Ruiz fight. And I said, round by round, Ruiz peeled back the layers of Anthony Joshua. I felt Usyk did it this time, but maybe against a more resilient Joshua. But he was just peeling back these layers of character and experiences and fears and insecurities. By being consistent and just forcing that pace on Joshua. Where inspiring from what I've heard he'd had it mostly his own way and in this fight he had nothing his own way that's why it's important to start the sport early you have to know what it's like not to have things go your way and still have the courage to see it through I don't think Joshua's finished yet I, I think he's probably still live in the in the rematch simply because he should have two arms by then and he can throw a volume of punches and a weight of punch that is it's hard to deal with. But I just have a feeling that if he opens up, Usyk will open up. And we, sh we saw Usyk can hurt him. That's my biggest worry about this, that Alexander Usyk can hurt him. The man who didn't really put a dent in Chisora until really late in the fight. A man who didn't put a dent in Michael Hunter until late in the fight was able to hurt Joshua at will. And let's come back on that and just give a salute to Derek Chisora because we now have to look at that performance in its rightful context. He brought the fight to Usyk and made Usyk feel uncomfortable. You also have to tip your hat off to Tony Bellew, who did something similar but in a different way. 
But those two guys are tough men. They're tough, hard men. I don't think Joshua's cut from the same cloth. As we've said many times, he's manufactured. You know, when I looked at the weigh-in, and I looked at Usyk, and there weren't muscles bulging out of Usyk, but Usyk looked like he had a big frame, and he, he looked like he was a bigger human, whereas it looks like they've just sort of stuck on slabs of meat on top of Joshua's pretty fragile skeleton. It all looks manufactured, and slowly but surely, the whole edifice is falling apart. And I'd like to see Usyk just finish the job off because, number one, I'm against the idea of a rematch clause in a mandatory defence. I'm 100% against that. So if we can get this rematch out of the way and hopefully the belts will start to flow better because that gets Eddie Hearn out of the picture. And that's really what we've wanted for a long time with these belts. And to be honest, if I was going to advise Anthony Joshua, I'd tell him, just leave the belts, man. Sack the belts off. Sack the belts off, fight Dillian White to become mandatory for the WBC. Just fight for that WBC belt. If it's still possible to get those other belts back, then do it. But I'd like to see Joshua as a contender again. You know, that Stormzy song is true. Heavy lies the head that wears the crown, right? And it seems that crown weighed heavy on Anthony Joshua. He might be better chasing people. I don't know. But that the guy that we saw box looked a shell of the person we saw on the way up. Most people expect me to smile and rejoice at that. I don't know if I want to. Because you want Joshua to come good. I just don't think it can happen for any number of reasons. The team's all wrong. Have you got 88 people in the picture? You know I mean, you've got three voices in your ear and everyone's jostling for position. You're doing all your commercial stuff in the two weeks before a fight. Launching your, your apparel. Yeah, um, what was it before the last fight? It was like a Revolut card. And you're just basically disrespecting the fans. And I, I don't agree with that. That's my frustration. So I'm hoping, to be honest, that Usa can usher in a new era where we just get fights made and you don't have to squeeze every last penny out of the fans. We just get fights made because people care about glory and legacy. That's how I feel. There's other stuff we could go into, but in essence, let's see where they do the rematch. I think it will be next year. And if that's the case... Good luck trying to make Fury versus Joshua. Good luck trying to make Wilder versus Joshua. Good luck trying to make any of those fights for Undisputed. I don't see it happening. So I think by the time you guys listen to this, I'll still be in bed. But just because I'm asleep doesn't mean you shouldn't like, share, and carry the discussion on. But let's just make sure that this podcast is at the heart of it. Because who else was telling you that Joshua's right arm wasn't right? Stop giving love to the people that don't love you and start giving love to the people that do. Because the other podcasts are keeping it quiet, but it will come out eventually that he wasn't right in that camp. But let's see what changes are made, if any. I don't think there'll be much change. But like I said, you can't have three voices in a camp. You know, there should be one voice and a voice that you trust, and that should be it. But maybe it's too late for him now. And on that note, I'm going to sign off because it's pretty late and I do need to sleep. You guys take care and I'm sure I'll do another one of these pretty soon. Take care.
I'm a I'm a hellraiser. I'm a father, a loving father. I'm a I'm a, you know I'm a semi good husband. You know what I mean? What? You know what I mean? I'm just a man out here trying to enjoy my. I, I was born poor. I ain't never had nothing. Man. I don't know how to act. All right. But the real thing is, I'm just I'm just here to be me. I don't care what uh, you, you think know what? I am or who or who anyone thinks I am. Um, at this stage of my life, but um, yeah, I'm a pretty much of a tyrant titan. Yeah, that's who I am.